Welcome to the Ralph the Movie Maker podcast. Uh, this is episode two. Just wanted to say thanks for watching episode one and making it a success. I think it started off really well. I was really happy with the response people had to the show. It seemed like they really liked it. And that's great. I'm, I'm happy everyone enjoyed it. Uh, that's That makes me feel great. Um, it was a success. I, I felt I felt good about it. I felt good. So thank you. Um, how There were, however, some technical issues with the show, which I'm going to get into. It was just for the first episode. I think I've fixed them now. The first one was the audio. The audio was a little too low. Um, I made sure to raise the audio and make it better. I had to re-upload that first episode. Um, that wasn't a big deal, though. I fixed that pretty quickly in editing. Another thing with that episode, which I, I couldn't fix, was the look of it. Because I wanted a visual component to the show. I wanted you to see me recording it. That was like a huge thing I wanted um, with this show. And I don't know, maybe I made it look too good. <laughs> like That was the thing. I think I had some filter on the camera, which I got rid of. And I zoomed out a little bit. But it looked like I was kind of floating in the ether, you know? It looked like I was in like some kind of dream sequence. And uh, I, that's not, I don't really, I wasn't really intending that, you know. It looked like I was in some kind of scene out of the Lord of the Rings or something. And I think I've fixed that. I've zoomed out a little bit. It's the, the image should be a little crisper. It won't look like I'm floating in heaven or whatever. Um, and I think, I think it'll be much more like watchable this time. It actually looks like, <laughs> like I'm actually sitting down in my, my room just recording a podcast, which is what this is. And yeah, I didn't want it to be distracting. Again, I wanted it to look good, but maybe it was like too distracting or whatever. All right. So let's, um, let's get into the films today. I wanted to talk about the planet of the apes trilogy, the, the, of the planet of the apes trilogy, <laughs> rise of the planet of the apes, dawn of the planet of the apes, and then war for the planet of the apes. Um, I rewatched all these recently. I got the Blu-ray of it. My friend was watching them, which made me go like, Oh yeah, I haven't seen those movies in a while. Let me watch them. Um, so let's just start with Rise of the Planet of the Apes first. Uh, the plot of the film is James Franco is a scientist and they're trying to find the cure for Alzheimer's because his father, played by Jonathan Lithgow, it has, has Alzheimer's. Um, he's, a, he's pretty good in the film. I think he gave a good performance in this film. I really like this character. Um, anyway, they test this drug on apes in this lab. And one of the apes gives birth to one of the main characters of the original Planet of the Apes films, which is known as Caesar. And James Franco raises Caesar after his mother is tragically killed. James Franco, you know, say whatever you want about him. Um, in this movie, wasn't a huge fan of his performance. Um, you could say he's the protagonist of this movie, which I... You know, that, that's what's kind of interesting about this movie is because you could say he's the protagonist, but really the star of the show and the kind of hero or villain, depending on how you look at the story, is the Caesar character, the ape. And um, I think that's what's kind of interesting about this movie. This is, of course, a prequel to the original Planet of the Apes films. Um, the original ones, I've seen the first one, I, I don't remember loving it, it is a classic, I'll probably have to watch it again. It did have the problem of like the, 
you know, the sexy lampshade character. <laughs> That's what it's called in like um, film tropes. The sexy lampshade is basically, you know, when you when you write a woman who's like so one dimensional that you you could basically replace her with a lampshade. And that's like, that's basically how the characters are written in that film. But that's a problem of like many other older films. I wouldn't just throw it like exclusively at the original Planet of the Apes film. You know, I will see it again, maybe cover it on this podcast. We'll see. But, you know, that is a classic, the original Planet of the Apes. I understand people are like very, I guess, attached to that film from when they saw it. I mean, those people are probably pretty old now. But, you know, I did think. I do enjoy these new ones. I probably enjoy them better than that classic film. And um, I think some of the worst parts of this film, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, one of the title is like really long-winded. And um, they also try to incorporate lines from the original Planet of the Apes, which are some of the weakest parts of this movie. Like when the ape handler played by Tom Felton, who plays... um. He's in the he's in the Harry Potter movies. He's like the back, Malfoy. That's right. He's Malfoy, fucking weird looking dude. Um, but he has this this really corny performance in this film, and he says, um, "It's a madhouse. It's a madhouse," or whatever. Which is, I think, that's a line from the original one. And then he also says, "Like, get your hands off of me, you damn dirty ape," which is also something that's in the original one. It's like they okay, I get they're trying to throw in. You know, references to the original Planet of the Apes because people know those, but it's kind of like, it's kind of dumb. There were some more subtle ones that I thought were really cool, like that are kind of in the background. Like you see the space shuttle take off. That's like um, part of the original one because, you know, the in the original one, it's like people were in outer space for a while and they come back down to Earth and um, they, they see all the apes or whatever. They see the, the whole planet's made of apes. Um, and the twist that I gave, I guess I gave it with a twist. Where it's like, you know, damn you all to hell. They realize it's actually Earth or whatever. Um, so in this film, you see how the apes kind of took over the planet. That's like the whole point of it. And also being a, being a, like a kind of character study about this character, Caesar. Um, who is a good character, played by Andy Serkis. I really enjoyed his performance. Um, Brian Cox is also in the film. He plays uh, the animal shelter owner. The, the shelter that Caesar is forced into. He's best known now for uh, Succession. He's the dad in Succession. He's great in that show. I really enjoy that show. Um, I guess here he was supposed to be Tom Felton's dad. I guess that's implied. I don't know if they ever explicitly said it. They might have. That's just how kind of I took it because Tom Felton's character is very like incompetent, kind of like a spoiled brat who's like, dad gave him this job and you know he mistreats the animals he's abusive to the animals and i guess there's this whole like subtext going on of like the mistreatment of animals how we abuse animals and so on how we look down on them you know we don't see them as equals to us even though these apes are very smart like even even when you take away the the whole like drug or virus thing in the story like apes are pretty intelligent there's there's an ape uh maurice who's like very intelligent knows sign language and yeah, that's definitely a big, like, theme of the film is the mistreatment of animals and whatever. Um, on that note, while we're talking about the Caesar shelter, the, the, the reason Caesar goes into the shelter about, like, um, kind of, like, halfway through the movie or so is because he, he attacked the neighbor. <laughs> People talking about, like, how sympathetic was Caesar in this film. There was, like, so many reviews of this movie, it was like, oh man, Caesar is so sympathetic, and you know, you feel so bad for him, or whatever, but, you know, like, Caesar, 
like I felt bad for the neighbor in that scene, you know, because <laughs> Caesar like fucks this this fucking neighbor character up. Like James Franco has this neighbor who's like just he's just like a dad. He, he works as a pilot. He's like trying to protect his family, and Caesar just keeps going into his fucking backyard, fucking his shit up, and then like. Uh, Jonathan Lithgow, like, I, I guess, crashes into his car or something, and he's like, dude, what are you doing? And Caesar comes out, I'm like, Jesus, dude, yeah, he's kind of an asshole, but I don't know if he deserved that, like, I don't know if he deserved to get his shit that much fucked up by Caesar like that. That being said, like, I do think that neighbor character is really over the top. That's probably one of the weakest parts of this film for me as well, is that neighbor character. He's either getting attacked by Caesar, at the end of the movie he gets fucking sneezed on by the scientist guy who's affected by the virus i'm like damn this dude can't catch a fucking break and then because he's a pilot he like spreads he's basically patient he's patient zero he spreads the virus out to like all of humanity it's like oh shit this guy destroyed the entire planet basically um yeah i don't know if he deserved that <laughs> uh, but that being said you know i did like this movie uh, I feel a huge draw of these films is the CGI on the apes, and I feel the CGI has held up really well. I think the apes look great in this movie. The effects, importantly, like even if they don't look 100% real 100% of the time, they look really great, and they're in service of a story. They're in service of the story and these characters, and there's lots of really good moments in this film. Um, you really get the emotion out of these characters and out of these, um, out of these ape characters, you do feel sorry for them and sympathetic toward them and their situation. You do take the film seriously. Um, the pacing is really good. I really enjoyed the pacing for this film. I thought it was really well done in that respect. Um, you know, if I had like any issues with the film in terms of the performances for me anyway, I'm not saying, um, he was terrible, but I would say James Franco and this movie was kind of, he gives a very James Franco performance. I did feel like he was kind of phoning it in. Like, he didn't really do much for me. I don't think he dragged the movie down. But he does, like, this, you know, a lot of James Franco squinting. Like, him, like, hmm. It's like, that's, that's James Franco's whole thing. It's like, I'm James Franco. My dad is dying. But I'm not going to cry. Instead, I'm just going to squint my eyes. And that's, like, James Franco's whole thing. Uh, for those of you who don't know, this is actually an interesting bit of trivia I learned, like, kind of recently. The original role that James Franco was supposed to play was supposed to go to his co-star in Spider-Man. It was supposed to go to Tobey Maguire. Tobey Maguire was supposed to play the James Franco character in this. And uh, I'm just going to read a little bit from an article here. Uh, Maguire lost the role because he wanted to have more input in this film. After reading the script, he came back to the table with lots of notes for the studio. At that point, the conversation ended, and Fox immediately closed a deal with Franco. It's very common for actors to want to make changes to scripts, but these privileges are usually reserved for some of Hollywood's biggest names. Brad Pitt, George Clooney. Um, apparently, McGuire thought he fell in that group but quickly learned that Fox didn't feel the same way. So that's pretty, that's pretty funny. Uh, Fox basically, um, you know, did, did what Caesar did to the neighbor in that, in that scene. <laughs> yeah, they got rid of him. <laughs> so I don't know. Uh, it's pretty, pretty uh, dumb thing for him to like try to change the script because I do think like this, this story is like one of the best things about it. I really wouldn't change much about it. I do think it works really well as a prequel. 
and I guess I'll get into that, but let's get more into the performances here. Uh, I think the best performances in the movie were Brian Cox. Um, I thought he was really good. As the, He's not in it a lot, but I did think he was really good. Um, there's a moment like when he sees his son die. I like his acting there. Like He sees his son get electrocuted or whatever. Frida Pinto. Uh, I like her in a lot of movies. She, she doesn't have a lot to do here, but in her little role, I think she's good. And also John Lithgow. He was probably the best performance in the whole film. He's like really convincing as like someone with Alzheimer's. That's definitely one of the most sympathetic parts of the movie aside from Caesar himself. Um, so the budget of the movie, the budget of this film was $93 million. I don't think that's particularly a really high budget for like a blockbuster film. Um, it's not over 100 And I think they used that money really well. I think with the resources they had, it was good to tell a story set before the kind of apocalyptic stuff and the action that we get into later on in the next two films. It's a little more like scaled down. Most of the money here went toward the cast and it went toward those VFX of like the apes, which are used, you know, sparingly and, um, I guess not sparingly, but you know, there's not like, not everything is CGI. There's not a thousand apes. It's mostly, most of the film is just Caesar and it's mostly focused on him and making him look really good. And I, I did think that was like commendable. I thought the movie looks great. I think it still looks great. I think it still holds up really well. You do believe in this character while you're watching the movie. The Caesar character is really interesting. I think Andy Serkis is really good in this film as well. I think he did a really great job of performing Caesar, uh, I've heard a lot of, well, not just, I've heard this a few times of him, him being compared to, like, kind of Lon Chaney, Boris Karloff, Bela Lugosi, like, those kind of actors who played, like, movie monsters back in the day, like Frankenstein or whatever, and how he's basically, like, the modern-day version of one of those kinds of actors, where instead of they're putting a bunch of makeup on his face, he's... He's got this CGI stuff, and he, he gives, like, these really good CGI performances as, like, these movie monsters, as Gollum, King Kong, and now this. Um, and I definitely kind of see that. I could agree with that to a certain extent. I did like how they made Caesar's character, like, kind of brutal, um, especially later on. He does kill a couple people kind of inadvertently. But still, he does kill people. Like, at the end of this film, there's the bad guy, um, David... Oilowo, something like that. I thought he was good, and I I like that. Um, I also like that a lot of the apes are played by other actors. You know, the they're a lot. They're not actors I've really seen much in anything else aside from Andy Circus. But you know, there was a human performance behind every animal in the film. Every animal is CGI, which is pretty impressive because some of them look really good. Um. But yeah, at the end of this film, that, that character played by uh, Oloio, David Oloio, Oloio. <laughs> um, his, his character's like hanging off of fucking the bridge on the helicopter. And then Caesar's like, Kobo, go fucking Koba, go fucking kill him. Like, just kill him, <laughs> kick him off the fucking bridge. It's like, yeah, great. That was awesome. Um, yeah, so he is a brutal character, Caesar. Um... I, I did like that. They kind of soften him in the next film a little bit, but then they, they pick it right back up with the third one. They made him like an asshole again. <laughs> they made him like shoot people or whatever. Um, so Caesar, the character's good. The CGI on Caesar is really good. Uh, but for me, the best, the best um, character 
in these movies. It's just in terms of the CGI and how the CGI looks realistic and believable. It has to be Maurice. The, the ape Maurice. Like, in all three of these films, Maurice looks amazing. He looks fucking great. Like, you cannot tell at all in some shots that it's a CGI ape. It looks completely photoreal. It's like some of the best visual effects work I it's some of the best visual effects work I've ever seen in my life. It looks it looks photoreal in some scenes. You're like that is like a real ape. <laughs> is this like CGI? And it only gets it gets slightly better as it goes along. Um but like even at the beginning Maurice looks amazing. Yeah, that that was probably my favorite effect in all three of these movies. Like whenever they'd cut to Maurice, I'm like, man, that looks fucking that looks really good. Like in terms of like a uh, uh, VFX artist getting there and making something look like completely realistic, they're almost there, especially in terms of that stuff. Um, you know, Caesar in some shots looks really good. Uh, he does look better as an adult, I think, than he does as a kid. And I think Caesar's effects get better as the movies go along. Like I think in the last film. The effects on him are, like, really great. Better than the first one, for sure. I think it helps to have, like, um... I think I said this talking about Avatar. It's it's good to, like, have a humanoid character if you're doing CGI. Not something that's exactly human, because I think human beings can recognize, like, a CGI person very easily. And go, like, oh, that's fake. That looks really fake. But if it's kind of like a, like a Na'vi... Like a blue person with cat ears or whatever that's big, or it's like an ape that kind of looks like a person, has a person's like facial facial expressions or whatever, then the audience can like buy into it a little more. Because we're not just so used to seeing other people. Like we see other people every day if you get out a lot. I, I don't know. I know a couple people who don't get out at all. <laughs> but um like if you if you go out every day, you like see people, you you recognize human faces. Like I think we're programmed human beings, the human brain are like programmed to recognize other human beings like really easily. So when you see a movie and it's like a CGI person, like one of those shitty like Robert Zemeckis movies or whatever, <laughs> like the the Polar Express or that's not even a terrible movie, but like the ones like that, like maybe Marth Needs Moms, which he produced. You know, you recognize that it's it's in that uncanny valley area whereas you know the effects in here the fact that they are apes and they like kind of transfer these human performances onto apes makes it much more believable you actually can buy into what's happening you're like okay it's an ape i'm not used to seeing that kind of thing um so just like a, um i don't know i i feel this is the weakest one out of the trilogy just to like wrap it up i don't think this is my favorite one i still like the film i think it's really good i really enjoyed it but watching it again I do think it gets better as it goes along. I do think this movie is kind of necessary in a way in establishing the background of Caesar. And I guess at this point, they didn't know it would be a trilogy yet. They were just trying to make a good like prequel film that kind of set up what was going on with the Planet of the Apes movie. Which is a much better idea than like trying to remake it. Which is what the Tim Burton was. The Tim Burton Planet of the Apes movie was. But yeah, I do I do like this idea better of kind of just reinventing the story a bit, telling your own story, make it a prequel about like setting up some th certain things that were going to happen. And they had no idea there would be sequels to this, honestly. So it's like, it works solo, it works on its own. It works as a solo companion piece to that original Planet of the Apes. Um, I also just wanted to say like, I'm not a big fan of the music in this film. I don't think the score is kind of, 
anything special. I think it could have been better. I think that's another element that does get better as the films go along. They do have like some notable music in the next two films, which I think is great. And um, if I had to give it a rating, I would give it a 7 out of 10. Uh, maybe kind of on the low end of 7 out of 10, just because of like the problems I said. It's a little corny, the neighbor character. Even like the Malfoy character in this movie is like, kind of silly. Um, the, the referencing the other movies, the, the music, James Franco squinting. <laughs> like There's a lot of things in it that I'm just like, eh, I don't know about this. I did really like it, though. I, I would recommend it even now. I think the best thing about it is those special effects. I think they're really good. Um, they did a really good job with those. And they do a good job of making you care about the situation and caring about what's happening. You know, you could just go like, oh, there are a bunch of CGI apes. Who gives a shit? But they do actually make you care. And, um, you know, that's kind of the... the they kind of frame the villains of the film like that. Like, they're like, oh, there's just a bunch of apes. Who gives a shit about them? It's like, no, they're not just apes. They're smart. And it's about this whole, like, this, this like, pro-environmental kind of message it has going. And, yeah, it's a good science fiction film. It's a downplayed science fiction, which I really like. Uh, so, yeah. 7 out of 10 for Rise of the Planet of the Apes. The next one is... Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, another long-winded title. The titles have to be the le my least favorite thing about these movies. It's like, just call it Dawn of the Apes, but Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. It's kind of long-winded, but if, they have to throw in the Planet of the Apes in the title because they want to sell the film. So this one is about Caesar has taken over the forests outside San Francisco, and uh, they're battling with this rival group, and the rival group is like... Uh, What's his name? Joel Clark? Is that his name? <laughs> something like that? <laughs> I can't even. I can't remember. Um, uh, Jason Clark. That's right. Not Joel Clark. Jason Clark, and Gary Oldman. Kerry Russell's there. Um, I did like that about the last film too. Is they were kind of like setting up that end goal of the film, where when it gets into the more action scenes, like toward the end. Um, Caesar's trying to get to the San Francisco forest, the forest outside of San Francisco. That's like his goal. It's like a home. Like you're, the film is actually building up to something, right? It's like, okay, at early on in the film, Caesar goes to the forest and he likes it. And then later on in the film, he sees that as a symbol of like his freedom. He's like, okay, I have to get to the forest. And then, and in this film, he lives in the forest. He's free. He has the people around him. Um, but then a war breaks out. Uh, with the rival group led by Gary Oldman, mostly, and um, on the human side. And the ape side has a treacherous ape who's kind of started this whole conflict named Koba. Koba's in the last film. You see him in the facility, and he, he sees um, human beings as evil because they tortured him in his, in his time in the lab or whatever. And in this film, they kind of soften Caesar up to make him more of the hero. Um, and they make Koba the villain, like, so Koba's the bad ape, and, and Caesar's the good ape, and it's about, like, them butting heads, and it's about, like, okay, you know, just because someone's an ape doesn't mean they're not an asshole, right, like, just because, the same thing with the human side, like, just because someone's a human doesn't mean they're not always wrong or have their own problems or whatever, um, and that's something I did like about this film, I did think the characters were strong, everyone has a good motivation and backstory as to why they're doing like you understand you know Copa's motivation to a certain extent you don't under you understand why he doesn't like human beings 
And I think that was pretty well handled. Like, his motivation makes sense. I did like the Culver character in it. And um, I really like Gary Oldman in this film. I thought he was great in this film. Uh, I like that scene when they restore power and he sees the pictures of his family, like, on his iPad. And it's a great performance there. And it's a great, like, kind of commentary about how our reliance on technology now and also... That's kind of why the apes were able to get the upper hand on humanity is because once we lost that technology and lost our power and all that, the internet, um, the apes kind of, you know, fucked us up <laughs> because our those resources were taken away from us. And I, I did like that bit. There was a lot going on there. And I really like Gary Oldman in this film. He's not a clear cut villain like you might think. He has He's very sympathetic and he actually makes sense. He's just trying to protect people. He's trying to protect the little survivors he has left. And, you know, you feel sorry for him because he lost his family or whatever. And yeah, there's a lot of dimension to not just his character, but every character in the film. Everyone's pretty, pretty well developed. And, you know, they're, they're all just trying to protect their own, basically. It kind of feels Shakespearean to me, like with all the different characters, all their different motivations, how it ends kind of tragically. I did really like that. There's a lot of risks taken with this film, too, um, especially in the beginning part of the film. There's not a lot of dialogue, actually. It's a lot of sign language. A lot of the apes do in the sign language and um, a lot of subtitles as well, which I think for a big budget Hollywood movie, this is a $170 million budget movie. This is like a huge budget. It, that was a huge risk to take, and I think they did that really well. That's like really impressive um, that they took those risks and that it actually worked. Like, it actually worked really well for this film. Um, and, it, you know, it doesn't rely on just spoken dialogue all the time. Uh, that's, a, that's a very bold thing to do in a film like this, I felt. There's lots of good action in this movie. Um, it actually doesn't rely on action a lot, uh, which I thought was kind of interesting. I, there was a lot less action in this movie then I remembered from when I first saw it, I did remember that final, not the final, it's like kind of toward the middle, like confrontation when Kobo attacks the, this, the, the little encampment of humans or whatever. But that scene's not that long. And it's very, it's played dramatically. It's like sad music over top of it. And, um, oh yeah, while we're on the music, I did like the music for this film. I think it was okay. I do, I do think the music gets better as it goes along. There's, there's like some good themes in here i like the ape theme with like kind of it's like boom 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 i can't remember exactly <laughs> that sounded like i was doing the people's chord dun, 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 dun. but it's like the, the apes have like this theme or whatever they, they use it a lot in the movie <laughs> i'm sure you'll notice it if you watch this again i'm like yeah that that was good I, I like that i like the film score much more than i did in the first one um andy circus is great He's always great in these. I really enjoyed him in this film. He talks now, Caesar. He's definitely getting smarter. <laughs> you see that. Like, oh, he, you see these apes get smarter as the films go along. And uh, I don't know. I'm kind of torn between a 7 or an 8 on this film. I do think it's better than, than the first one, for sure. I don't think it's as good as the third one, but I do definitely think it's better than the, than the first one. Um, I'm going to give it an eight for now i'm gonna give it an eight i really liked it it's a low eight <laughs> it's a low eight it's not like a high eight 
I, I do think the next one's better, but I would recommend this movie. I think it's solid, and I think there's a lot of... Um, I think it's necessary to watch, actually, if you're going to watch all three of them, especially if you want to watch that last one. These, these first two are kind of necessary to get you to connect with the characters and connect with Caesar and, and so on. I would recommend all three of them, and, and just because they are so entertaining. Like, there's no reason to skip them. And, uh, yeah, it gives you a complete picture of the character of Caesar as well. Like, I do, I do like that about these films. They, like, you get to see his entire life basically play out in these movies from, from birth to the end. And yeah, so I'd, I'd give it an 8. I'd give this one an 8. I really enjoyed this movie. Um, the CGI is great. It looks better than the other ones. It's more ambitious with that, too. There's a lot of, like, effects going on. There's a lot of, a lot more action. Um, I like the Koba character. I like the scenes when he's, like, pretending to be the dumb ape. And he's, like, he's, like, fucking with these two soldiers just so he could take their guns, basically. <laughs> and then once he does, he, like, yeah... He shoots them all. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that was fucking awesome. This is great. I, I love that kind of shit. Um, yeah, I really like that scene. I really like Gary Oldman. Um, there's this there's, there's a few like cartoony kind of characters in here, but not not really. Um, Judy Greer actually played one of the apes, Cornelia. So that's like kind of interesting. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, there's like a lot of good actors playing the apes here. Um, yeah, the, the apes are the best part of the movie. They're better than the humans. Um, so now we can get into the final the final film here. And we can wrap this up. Called War for the Planet of the Apes. I think this is the best title out of the three. <laughs> At least it makes sense. War for the Planet of the Apes. I, I, I don't know. You could call it War for the Apes. I guess that doesn't... It's just, it's relying on that title recognition. I guess I get it. You have to market the film. Otherwise, people wouldn't see it. And considering, like, how much money they spend on these freaking movies, like, it does make sense. Um, I'm not sure the budget of this one, actually. Let me just look that up quick. I usually, I had it written down for the other two. But not for this one. Uh, it says 150 to 152 million. So that's actually, I think, less than than the second one. Um, so my original experience seeing this film was kind of ruined for me, which is why I don't think I liked it as much at first. It's kind of infamous among people who know me, like this experience I've had. So when I saw this film, I saw it with a friend of mine at a matinee screening during the week. So it was in the morning. Um, I think there were some handicapped people in the screening, sitting in front of us, not that I'm dissing handicapped people or whatever, you know, I, I don't, you know, I'm not like that, I'm not that kind of guy, or whatever, and, you know, they would just, that, that being said, they would just not be quiet, the whole movie, they would just not be quiet, they were yelling and screaming the whole movie, like, they weren't just, like, whispering, they were, like, screaming, <laughs> like, during this film, um, at parts that were really quiet. Like, they weren't even reacting to anything. They were just yelling um, randomly, like, in the film. And that... that And they were singing, also. I did, I did remember that one of them was singing songs in the middle of this film. And that was really distracting. And if you've seen this film, you know, it's very quiet. 
It's not a movie with a lot of action or whatever, and it's supposed to be emotional. It's not like, I don't know, some Marvel film or something. Like, it's supposed to be, like, it's supposed to take its time. It's very dramatic and whatever. And it made this movie very hard to get into when there's people, like, yelling and screaming and singing, like, in the theater. I don't blame the movie. I don't blame them. You know, they're handicapped or whatever. I don't know... You know, I don't know what to do about that situation there. My friend and I were sitting there and we were just looking at each other like, man, this is brutal. Like, this is so hard to get into because of these people. Um, maybe we should have left and gotten a refund and come back later looking back on it. But, you know, we might have been busy that day or something. So I don't know. That was a pretty miserable experience seeing this movie. <laughs> it completely ruined the movie, honestly, to experience the movie that way. <laughs> um, so yeah, that sucked. That that really sucked. Um, I watched it this time at home on my nice 4K TV, 85 inch or 75 inch or whatever. Um, and I really enjoyed it this time. This time I really enjoyed it, I, you know. Looking back on it, the experience wasn't good. That might have hindered my experience of the film. But watching it back-to-back -back with these other two, I'd actually say this is my favorite one out of the three. This is this, this is probably my favorite one. It's the most well-made. The CGI is the best because it's just the newest film. Um, I really like the music in this film. I think this has the best score of any of the three of them. Um, they use the themes, but they're not overused. And, you know... Like, a lot of the criticisms I had with the first two are just not here. Like, they focus a lot on the ape characters. There's not a lot of human characters that you could really pick apart as much as there were in, like, the first two. Like, even the Jason Clark character in the second one's kind of one-dimensional. You know, he's, like, the good dude. Like, he's the good guy. Um, it's more like the Gary Oldman character I really liked in that film. Um... Caesar has like a bit of a harder edge to this film because it is a revenge story and if you know if you haven't seen the movie I don't have to say too much about it but it is a revenge film Caesar is fucking killing people in this movie like he doesn't give a fuck <laughs> he's the protagonist but he and he's still the good guy in a way but he fucking shoots people with a shotgun like he doesn't give a fuck anymore and I did like that I like the villain of the film also Woody Harrelson and I don't know if I liked him as much as Gary Oldman's character because I did think there was that sympathetic part to his character. But Woody Harrelson's really good in this movie. I think he works for this film. And I think the two characters, Caesar and, and the Woody Harrelson character, kind of like um, mirror each other really well. They both kind of lost something in their lives and they're trying to like take it out on each other and whatever. And, and it's like it's an interesting dynamic they have. And yeah, I really like the Caesar character in this film. You do see his transformation over the course of these three films. And Andy Serkis played that really well. Um, I really liked his performance in this. And um, it made me like kind of appreciate CGI performances just as much as I do. Actors that you see in like kind of like Oscar bait kind of movies or something like that. Like live action performances. Like this is basically on that level for me. Like he is really good in this film. Uh, I really enjoyed his performance. And, um, I guess later on in this film, you know, there's, like, a lot of the kind of revenge story and so on, but it does become kind of, like, the great escape, like, later on. Um, it becomes about Caesar trying to leave this facility controlled by Woody Harrelson and having his apes escape with him. 
that's a great um thing to do in a third film in a trilogy. That seems to be a common plot <laughs> that a lot of third films in a trilogy do. Trilogy do. Like uh, I think of um the Toy Story films, Toy Story 3, like they do that thing where they're trying to escape from the pre-K uh controlled by Lotso. And this is like something they do here. It's like about it, it becomes the great escape. They're trying to escape that prison. And I did like how that was drawing parallels to the first film, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, where that film was about Caesar being captured for a large part of it and then him escaping that facility or that shelter with the other apes. And here, you know, in the third film, they're kind of going back to that. It's like, okay, Caesar is now trapped again and he has to break free from the humans. Like, the humans will not let him be free. They keep trapping him. They keep closing him in. And uh, I did think that's how it tied in really well with the first film. I think all the films tie into each other really well. They even mentioned, like, the James Franco character in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Like, they, they all tie into each other really well. This might be Matt Reeves' best movie. <laughs> Honestly, I, the Batman, you know, that's kind of close. But I, th I do think this movie's, like, really good. I, I do think it might be his best movie. I'll have to see it again. But yeah, I really enjoyed it this time. Um, this is a very dark film. It's quiet and it's long and it treats the audience with like a lot of respect, which I appreciate. You know, it's not like, oh, there's going to be action scenes every five minutes. <laughs> it's like, it's, a, it's not an action film. It's a drama. It's trying to get you into these characters and make you care about them and care about the situation and care about these apes. And it's great in how it's paced and how it's very dramatic. And at times it could be actually too dark. And that's kind of what I was thinking. Like, man, this is really like miserable at times. But then they introduce, you know, the, the bad ape character played by Steven Zahn, who adds a lot of comedic relief to this film. And I like that character. He was necessary in a film that is this dark and kind of brooding like that's something like a lot of Zack Snyder's films are missing like you need that like kind of comedic character to like liven the story up a bit otherwise it's all just like the, it's all one note all of his movies are so one note it's so boring and yeah like the Steven Zahn character came in he's like okay he, he tells some silly jokes and he, he makes it interesting and I do like the you know they're they're like expanding the world of the apes there's apes outside of Caesar's little clan um, and I did like that. Um, yeah, I'm just glad they were, man they managed to keep that tone, like, throughout the entire movie. Um, even with the comedic character. And it's, it was always dramatic and it was always interesting, even though they didn't, they don't kill a lot of characters in this film, which I also appreciate. It's not like, oh, we're gonna, we're gonna create forced drama by killing every character just for no reason. It's like, okay. They kill some characters, um, but it, it's not, like, entirely necessary to have, like, constant death or whatever in this in this kind of film. And the characters, there are characters that die, but it's just, it's not a constant thing. It doesn't become a crutch of this film, and it makes it more unpredictable and more, like, I feel like that would get tiring if they were just killing off tons of characters in it. Um, they actually made me care about a bunch of CGI apes. <laughs> and they balance the time that they have really well. It is a long movie. It's over... It's like two hours and 20 minutes or something like that. I think it's a little over that. And they still made me care. Like, it's a great 
movie. It's my favorite one. It, it's it's probably my favorite one. This and Dawn are kind of like. I do think this one's a little better. Dawn was my favorite one before, but now I think this one's better. I I think War for the Planet of the Apes is is the best of this trilogy. I think it's definitely worth seeing. Um, I really enjoy the CG on the apes. I, I think that's just the best thing about these movies is the CG. They're like really impressive to look at these these special effects. They clearly put a lot of work and time and effort into making these things look really great. And it's because, you know, they did have passion for this story. They they wanted to tell a good story and make it work. And they did. They did a really great job with these. I was I, I fell in love with them. I'm like, wow, these apes look great. I really appreciate the amount of work that went into making this film and telling a story that's like emotional and dramatic and takes its time and is slow and has like all these things that I really like about it. Um, so yeah, like I said, it's my favorite one. I'm going to give it an eight for now, but it's a high eight. It's almost a nine. It's like almost there. I kind of have some like minor criticisms with it. I don't, I don't, it's like kind of nitpicky things. Like, I don't know. I don't think the end of the film was great. Like, the last act, maybe. I felt like it got kind of slow. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it could go up as I see it more. Like, this is my first time rewatching it in, like, since it came out years ago. Um, it's a high eight. It's a really awesome movie in a trilogy of awesome films. <laughs> and Matt Reeves did a great job with it. It's it, also one of my favorite Andy Serkis's performance one of my favorite performances from him right up there with Gollum um he did a really great job with this everyone did um it's 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 a career highlight for a lot of people and it's one of those summer blockbusters that really treats the audience with respect and it's it's really well paced and it's funny and it, it just has a lot going on it's a great movie I, I definitely recommend it to to anybody to everybody, it's it's a fun. It's not fun, but yeah, it, it was fun to rewatch all these because I, I got a lot out of them. I'm like, I'm glad I I'm glad I watched these again. I really I really enjoyed watching them in 4K, and yeah. So so that's um the Planet of the Apes movies. Um, so now I'm gonna go into the, into the question thread. I leave a a Reddit question thread, um every episode. If you guys want to leave questions for me, you can do that there. Hi Ralph, I'm very excited about this new podcast. This is from Vegetable Vegetabling e, e. Uh, these fucking names. Vegetable Ingenuity. Oh, okay. It's an I. Vegetable Ingenuity 41. Uh very excited about this new podcast. The Pinocchio episode was great. Anyway, I'll ask you what is one actor who no matter how bad the film is, you always think they make it better. Mine is Steve Buscemi. Uh, <laughs> thanks for the content as always, and can't wait to see more of you on the RTMM podcast and Sardonic cast. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Steve Buscemi's a good one. He's in a lot of shitty movies, but he does a good job, like Grown Ups 2 or whatever. Um, so, so I would say mine, my answer would be Christopher Walken. <laughs> Christopher Walken is an actor I really like. He's in a lot of good movies, but he's also in a bunch of shit. He's in Nine Lives. He's in freaking The Country Bears. It's not over, Bears. He's in Geely recently. I, I saw Geely recently for Sardonicast since he mentioned that. 
And he has like a really bad scene in that film. It's like, what is he doing? He's in like Balls of Fury and like all these fucking terrible movies. That's kind of what I like about Christopher Walken. He knows, he always knows the kind of film he's in. And obviously every actor has bad roles or whatever. Like every actor has been in a bad movie. But he knows when he's in a bad movie and he really like, he gives like a really weird performance whenever he's in a good movie. Like you could look up that scene on Geely, in Geely. It's probably on YouTube and you see like his fucking acting. It's like, what is he doing? Like, it's like hilarious. Like, okay, even if he's in a terrible movie, at least he's like doing something interesting and funny. Um, Nicolas Cage is also one of those actors for me where whenever he's in a bad movie, he's not just bad he's interestingly bad and he like i don't know he has a lot of fun with it he tries on like a lot of guys like you know steven seagal or bruce willis or so on one of those kind of washed up actors um yeah i think those are good answers uh okay yeah nick cage and christopher walken <laughs> christopher walken's like a really funny one um let's see let's find like a, let's find like a film related one this is from Drab OK. What are some horror movies that legitimately scare you or disturb you to this day? And what horror film do you think gives you the most visceral reaction when watching it? Also, thanks for this podcast. I always love hearing from you talk about movies, and I look forward to more episodes. Thank you. Um, so, so two movies that disturb me. Um, the movie Audition... There's a lot of movies that disturb me, but the movie Audition, that was, like, really fucked up. Because, like, the the first part of that movie isn't really played up as a horror movie. And then it just, like, suddenly shifts into a horror movie, like, very quickly. I'm like, man, that's fucked up. Um, I think Audition's a good one. I Saw the Devil. That's a good one. Very disturbing. I like movies that are, like, played up realistically. Like, ghost shit doesn't do much for me. Like, it doesn't scare me. I do love movies that are about ghosts and demons or whatever. Like, The Exorcist, that's a great movie. That's a five-star movie. Or, like, you know, there's a couple other movies like that where it's like, okay, it's not realistic, but it's still a great film. Like, it's still creepy or whatever. Um, but the films that most disturb me is when they play it, like, really realistic. Like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. There's nothing unrealistic about that movie, really. It's a, it's about a dude. I guess it, it's kind of corny, but it's like... As far as the situation, it's just a dude with a chainsaw. Like, that could happen to you. You could just be going around one day and some dude with a chainsaw comes to kill you. Or, like, you know, Audition is like this crazy girl fucking kidnaps you, whatever. Or I Saw the Devil, it's about a serial killer... It's like shit like that scares me. Like serial ki serial killers, murderers, and like people with weapons. Like that. That's the kind of shit that you like will probably actually have to deal with, or maybe have to deal with in your life. That's that's the shit that like disturbs me. And that's why I really like those movies. So yeah, that's three for you. Audition. I saw the Devil. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Even Halloween to a certain extent. I know it's not realistic because the guy like he almost gets killed and then he comes back to life. Like he can survive bullet wounds or whatever. Um, but there's still something scary about, like, some dude coming to your house with a knife or whatever. Like, that's, that's kind of scary. I get more out of that than, like, ghost shit, because ghosts are, like, so dumb to me. I'm like, alright, fucking, yeah, alright, I'm gonna get possessed by ghosts. Come after me, ghosts. Come after me. I I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting to be haunted. I've never been haunted or anything. <laughs> People are like, oh, I hear noises. It's that fucking house settling. Please. Um... So here's, a, here's one from TBF is good. 
Where is Macon? How is he doing? And why haven't you let him out of the basement for a year? <laughs> I don't, didn't Macon die? <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know what the fuck happened with Macon. <laughs> I don't even fucking know. I think he died, didn't he? Didn't someone shoot him or something? Didn't Bruce Willis shoot him? Who fucking gives a shit? Um... Okay, here's a question about video games. I'll, I'll do one about video games and I'll wrap it up here. Uh, this is from Iomic P Pentameter. These <laughs> fucking names are so weird. What do you think about video games that are at, at almost more like playable movies and almost gameplay? Some examples being The Wolf Among Us, Until Dawn, and Life is Strange. Uh, love the first episode. Keep it up. Thanks, Iomic per, per Pentameter. Um, I, I like The Last of Us. I feel like that's one of those, like, a lot of Naughty Dog games. There's a lot of gameplay in those, too, obviously. Um, but yeah, a lot of those Naughty Dog games are kind of just, like, playable movies to me. Where you, like, you play through the, through the set pieces, <laughs> basically. Uh, there's a, they're very, they're very, um, cutscene heavy. Cutscene driven. Which is good. I, I tend to like games like that, and I don't see any problem with that, like, any kind of art form. It's like, okay, that's fine. You want to tell your story that way? That's fine. I do like those Telltale games. Um, they made a Game of Thrones one. I played the first season. They never made a second one. <laughs> I don't know why. Um, there's, like, there's, like, very radical choices you can make in those games. Like, if you, like... This is like the girl character. You could choose to have her killed at the end of the game. So it's like, okay, if you made a sequel to that Game of Thrones game, you would have to program an entire story with her that like half the player base would not even play because their game ended with her dying, right? Like the my game or whatever. So that's, maybe that's why they didn't make a sequel. It was too complicated. That's like a limitation of those like narrative choice games. Like there's always some point where... You can't make it too complex, otherwise it would completely branch off into something, like, ridiculous. Um, so, so yeah. Uh, the Telltale games, I'd say The Wolf Among Us is a great one. That's one of my favorite ones. That one and the, the Walking Dead one, Season 1. I played Season 2 also. I never played the rest of them. I played the first two seasons of The Walking Dead one. Um, there might have been another Telltale game I played. Back to the Future. Um... Yeah, The Wolf Among Us, that was a really good one. I really enjoyed that. Um, and the, the Until, I've played Until Dawn. That's a whole other studio. Um, I, I, let me look up the name of that studio. Uh, I, I remember Hayden Panettiere was in it, Rami Malek. Is Supermassive Games, is that them? Yeah, that's them. They did like House of Ashes and, and yeah, Man of Medine. Um, my brother really likes those. I, I've only played Until Dawn. I remember, like, really fucking bad dialogue in that game. Maybe it's fitting because it's a horror movie, but, like, or horror game. Like, Rami Malek has, like, a lot of bad names. Like, his name is Josh in that game, so he's like, Stop joshing around, or whatever. He's like, Hook, line, and sinker for every little stinker. I'm like, holy fuck, this dialogue's, like, really corny. I can't believe Rami Malek, an Academy Award-winning actor, <laughs> is in, like, such schlock. <laughs> like, really. Um... But yeah, I, I liked Until Dawn. That's like one of those choice games where it's not like completely perfect with the choices, but there are more choices given to you than like kind of the average choice game. Like you can actually lead to characters' deaths in the game, which I think is cool. Um, there is some like consequence to your choices in that. There's some that are kind of dumb, like 
there's like one character in it like you can only kill her in like one scene in the game like it's just like one scene and then if you like play it one way she dies if you play it the other way she lives but it's only like one choice basically i'm like oh that's kind of stupid but i guess a lot of these games kind of fall into that the uh, david cage games <laughs> you know heavy rain heavy rain's actually a pretty good choice game in terms of just the choices you make actually having consequence and the same with that um What's the one with the AI or whatever, where they're a bunch of robots, the, uh, uh, fucking, what the fuck is that game? Oh my god. <laughs> I, I need to look it up, because I'm gonna, like, I'm gonna, like, blow my brains out if I don't figure this out. Detroit Become Human, that's it. <laughs> Detroit Become Human. Yeah, there's, like, that's a good choice game in terms of just the choices you make, like, actually mattering. I didn't play through the whole thing. But I'm like, oh yeah, this is pretty good. The one he made with um, Ellen Page, that was terrible. <laughs> the the one with Willem Dafoe and Ellen Page, that one, the story of that one sucked, and there was like no consequence to your choices at all. It's like it didn't even fucking matter. Maybe like a couple endings or whatever. Yeah, those, those games are whatever. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's that's David Cage. <laughs> those are my those are my thoughts for this week. Thanks for asking questions. Uh, I'll leave a question thread for the next episode. I'll go back and answer some of those questions, too, from, from the first thread if you left them. You don't have to leave them again if you don't want. You can ask new questions or do whatever you want. Um, so, yeah, thanks for thanks for listening. Thanks for watching if you watched. Um, some people want this on Spotify. I will do that at some point. I think it costs money to get it on Spotify. Um, that's how it is with Sardonic Cast because, you know, I've been, I, I manage, like, the Sardonic Cast on Spotify. I have to pay for, like, a service to do that, to get it on, like, Spotify and Apple Music or whatever, Apple Podcast. Um, I will do that eventually, but, you know, that's going to take time, and I need to, like, gather the money together to do that. And, you know, uh, you know, but if this podcast is making money, then I can obviously do that. <laughs> and if not, I'll just dip into the Sardonic Cast money I make and, and do that, which is fine. Um, so yeah, that's some some behind the scenes info for you. I'll try to get this on Spotify at some point. There's no rush. I mean, I just started it. Oh uh, yeah, it's like some people want me to change the title of the podcast to like Ralph the Podcast Maker. I'm like, yeah, I guess that could be a funny title, but I don't I don't know if it's entirely necessary. Like, I just called it Ralph the Movie Maker Podcast because it's just like um, it's just like you know, I just use my name. Like that's my internet alias or whatever Let's just call it ralph the movie maker podcast i mean what else it's not going to be that complicated like i don't want it to be that cryptic or whatever um also next episode we'll probably have a guest on i might have my friend cam and his one of his friends or he's my friend too vishnu and we're going to talk about the fantastic four films <laughs> that's i think that's what we're going to do next we're going to talk about fantastic four all four of them because there's four we'll talk about the josh trank one fan four stick the two michael chiklis jessica alba ones and the um the the roger corman one <laughs> as well so i'll be working on that if there's like another movie that comes out in between maybe i'll do an episode on that but you know th there's no rush uh there's not a lot coming out. I think Blonde is coming out this week. I, I do want to see that. The Marilyn Monroe movie with Ana de Armas. And that, that looks good. I like that director. It's the director of Killing Them Softly. Uh, so I'll definitely do that. I'm definitely going to check that out. Alright, so thanks everybody. Thanks for listening and watching. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.